0: Good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today, especially if you're visiting. Special welcome to you. Thank you for being here at Gospel Fellowship Church. If you would, uh, turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 through 7. We're going to be in our second-to-last sermon in our series today. And it seems rather quick, especially after having gone through Luke and 1 Corinthians. It seems like, what, we're, we've only been in 1 Peter for eight, nine months? Like This seems like a short one. What's going on? But second to last sermon here. Let me pray for us as we begin. Father, we give thanks that we can gather together as your people, that you have redeemed us through your son, Jesus Christ. Today we ask, seek, and knock for the work of your Holy Spirit. You have made it In your wisdom, the case that you call not many wise, not many noble, not many strong, so that it might be evident that the glory and the power is from you. So we pray for that to be the case today through the teaching of your word, through the reading of your word, through the singing of psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, through prayer for one another and through the encouragement of one member of the body to another, your spirit would be at work and your people would be built up for your glory. We pray for that today, in Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. All right. So, recently I was reading a book called "The Decline of Humility and the Death of Wisdom." It's written by um, a person who's a bit of a historian, who was an attorney and now uh, most recently a uh, a trial judge. And he wrote this. It was published back in actually just this past year. He was writing part of it during the start of COVID. Really interesting, he talks a lot about um, social media, talks about uh, political leaders, talks about uh, philosophy and its effects on our view of humility. I wanted to read just a couple of excerpts from that book in preparation this morning. So William Tully writes, The natural progression of the aforementioned modern school of Western philosophy is a society dominated by egocentric and arrogant know-it-alls. Civilized discourse has given way to shout-downs. Popular culture and social media are consumed with celebrity, wealth, power, and superficiality. Image has become more important than reality. Humility is considered to be a weakness relegated to losers. As modern Western philosophy has succeeded in reducing the role of humility in modern society, popular culture has accepted Hume's, that is philosopher David Hume's premise, that humility is not a virtue, but instead a vice. Who has time for perceived weakness when one is chasing fame and celebrity? Who has time for humility when everything is all about me? This egocentric view has an extremely troubling result. As we become increasingly more concerned with ourselves, we become proportionately less concerned about others. If everyone is willing to do what it takes to get ahead, there will be countless victims left in that path of destruction this is just a sliver of the top of the iceberg when it comes to thinking about the culture around us in the way that we think about ourselves about other people about humility and pride peter is going to be addressing that today first peter chapter 5 5 through 7 he's going to talk about a community of humility and if the term community is a little bit too neat and tidy for you, you could just think of it as being a humble jumble. Let's read 1 Peter 5, 5-7 through together. Peter writes, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves. Therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. In this passage here, uh, Peter gives us three commands. Three commands. He says, be subject to the elders, clothe yourselves with humility, and humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. And so we're going to take a look at this passage and look at those three commands Um, under this idea of humility, which is very prominent here. So being humble toward elders, being humble toward one another, and being humble toward God. So let's look at that first command. It says, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Now this follows, obviously, right after verses 1 through 4, where Peter has just instructed elders, those who have been called the shepherd in the church of God, and their responsibilities to the church. Peter immediately follows and instructs the general church body and their responsibility toward elders. Specifically, he has in mind, he says, You who are younger, so those younger in the faith, which oftentimes, not always though, corresponds with physical age, so younger people, um, but there are older people who, for whatever reason, they were saved later in life, they're younger in the faith, just like there are some elders who are more mature in the faith, but maybe younger physically. Now, being subject to elders doesn't mean that elders know everything, or we do everything right, or that we snap our fingers and everybody's simply supposed to do what we say to do, which is exactly contrary to what he's just instructed elders back in the first four verses. So, but, the, um, but those who are younger would often be people who would perhaps less be understanding of the commands of God or the way of God and the way that he's structured and instructed us to gather as a church or live out life. And so it's an important reminder for them to look to those who are further ahead in the faith to be cognizant of that, to take um, direction from their wisdom and to be respectful of the direction that's being set. Now, of course, it's not just younger ones who are called to be subject. The writer of Hebrews without that age qualification, simply says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now, just briefly, I want to say, why, why be subject to elders? Why is this important? Uh, well, Primarily, it's because God has instructed elders to shepherd. Right? So in verses 2 through 3, Peter said to elders, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, Exercising oversight not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So if God has called elders to shepherd and set generally the direction of the church, then it makes sense that others should be respectful of that and should generally follow that, right? That's why it's important for elders to be qualified men, they're supposed to be leading, not just anywhere, but they're supposed to lead it according to the will of God, in the ways of God, revealed in the word of God. And this is, this is why that's an important thing. Also, we read in verse 4 that Jesus is called the chief shepherd. So elders are merely under shepherds playing a role of leading, but they do that under Christ and under his leadership. So that is, that is really the impetus right here in the, the context for why being subject to elders is important. So what, what does this look like? Let me give you just a few brief illustrations of what being subject to elders might mean, what it might look like. So uh, I think of it in two ways. One I think is responsive, what we probably would most frequently think about being subject to somebody, but also proactive. Okay, So in responsive, uh, being subject... Um, for instance, over the past couple of years that I've been an elder, there have been a number of people that have come up to give a suggestion or uh, make a, have disagreement with anything from a part of the budget to our music to the way that we gather as a church. And that's good. We want people to come as a body and say, hey, this is what we see in the Word of God, What do you?" and we think that it leads us to do this. We want to hear that, to listen to it, and if there's agreement, we say, hey, that's a great idea, let's change that. But if there's disagreement, then the elders want to take people to the Word of God and say, this is what we see the Word of God calling us to do and what it is calling us not to do. And if there's that disagreement and if that person uh, doesn't say, yeah, absolutely, that you're, you're absolutely right, there's a call to be subject and generally follow the directions, the leadership of the elders, most people have been incredibly respectful and gracious with that. They've exemplified that. They've brought a concern. They've heard a response from the scripture. And maybe they haven't fully agreed, but they've said, we have no desire to be divisive. We have no desire to, um, to be un- unduly burdensome. And we get it. And so let's, we'll usually keep talking, but they've been very, um, very respectful and have been exemplifying of this command to be subject. That would be one example Or maybe there's uh, an issue of sin between two people. And it gets it to a point where they're not working out among themselves and one of the elders hears about it and says, hey, can we get together? Can we pray about this? Can we talk through this? Can we work to reconcile? That's an aspect of shepherding. That's an aspect of an older person of faith coming in and helping to work through that. Being subject is responding to that and saying, okay, let's, let's come, let's respond to that, let's walk through this, let's work through this, so that way we can be a unified body. So those are some responsive ways to do this, but there's also proactive ways of placing ourselves under the care and wisdom and leadership of elders. So a couple personal examples. Back when I was maybe 19, 20, uh, young in the faith, very zealous, also very foolish. Uh, There were some decisions being made in our family, some direction being set that at the time, I have family in the back, so I'm being very, very gentle with what I'm saying right now, but there were some decisions being made in the family that in my perception at that time, I thought was not good for our family, and I was ready to say some very harmful things that probably would have damaged relationships for a long time to come. By God's grace, what I did instead was I called one of the elders from my church that I was close with, and I said, Luke, this is what's happening This is what I'm thinking about. This is what I think I really need to say to them. And he just said, you know what, Stephen? I don't think that's really necessary. It's probably okay. Here's how you should maybe think about it and maybe a different course of action to take. And because of his counsel, I was kept from saying some really dumb things. And that was a huge blessing to receive that wisdom from him. Or a couple years ago, I was working in an office and some of the business practices that were going on, I had some questions of integrity with. I wasn't sure how to quite handle it. So I called Pastor Mark and I said, Hey, Mark, can we get together? As an elder, I want to receive wisdom from you. And as a business executive, I think you'll understand a little bit of my context. And so we met together and talked through some things. And it was helpful to gain perspective and to gain some wisdom. How do I walk out the Christian faith in my workplace? And I received great blessing from that. And there have been all sorts of people who have come and talked with me or somebody else as they make life decisions or they have family issues. That's a way of placing ourselves under the care and the leadership of elders. So be humble toward elders. Place yourselves under that care. It's a blessing. Second command. This is where we're going to spend most of our time today. Be humble toward one another. Look at the second half of verse 5. We read, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So we have a a, a change here. Peter's gone from addressing younger ones to now addressing all of you. It's not just the elders, not just younger ones. This is the whole church community that he's addressing here. The instruction he specifically gives is clothe yourselves with humility. I have this picture of this apron up here because the, the verb for clothe yourselves with means to tie something onto yourself. Is used often of slaves tying on an apron in preparation for service. The wording is not the same thing used in John 13, but I have a really hard time thinking that Peter, in his mind, didn't have as a picture Jesus in the upper room, taking off his outer garment, tying a towel around his waist, and washing the disciples' feet, this picture of humility. So as a believing community, one to another, we're supposed to put on humility like a garment that prepares us for service. It's supposed to be a mindset, an attitude of the heart that makes us willing and ready to to serve in our interactions together. And again, it's toward one another. He's specifically thinking about how we interact with these people around you here. Humility is much bigger than that. It goes towards people outside of the church, but he's specifically thinking about when you look across the the row of chairs, when you gather in the fellowship meal, when you get together outside of this, this church gathering, how do we treat one another. Okay. So we're going to talk a little bit more about humility. What is humility? I think that's really, really important for us to, to go into and to understand better. At the end of the verse here, you see him say, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So humility and pride stand in opposition in contrast to each other. So we're going to focus on humility, but I think we need to kind of contrast it with pride to really gain a grasp of what it is and what it isn't. So pride is um, something that has often in Christian thought been thought of as one of the greatest or the greatest sin or the root of sin in Christian life. It's been called one of the seven deadly sins, if you're familiar with the term seven deadly sins. I'm not talking about the Netflix original series. I'm talking about like the theological framework, seven deadly sins, pride, um, lust, sloth, envy, anger, gluttony, greed. And uh, pun intended, pride is often thought to have pride of place among those seven deadly sins. It's a serious thing, and it's very pernicious. It's hard to identify in ourselves. Pride would do that, right? Of course I'm not prideful. Um, Andrew, um, Andrew Murray uh, was a a pastor. There's a little book that he wrote called Humility. It's on the resource table. If you haven't read it, I would encourage you to go over and pick up a copy and read it. It's only about 45 pages, and it's well worth reading. But there's a couple of uh, things that he says about humility that I wanted to highlight today. He says, Humility is simply acknowledging the truth of our position as creature and yielding to God his place. So there's an element of humility that is recognizing Our rightful place in God's order before God. He also says, true humility comes when in the light of God we have seen ourselves to be nothing, have consented to part with and cast away self to let God be all. The humble soul has given up forever every thought of self in God's presence. It meets its fellow men as one who is nothing and seeks nothing for itself, who is a servant of God, and for his sake a servant of all. So these, ele- these two elements of proper recognition of ourselves and bef- from that position, service to others. This is what we read in Matthew 20. So what I'd like to do is I'm going to look at two passages of Scripture today and see what that teaches us about humility and pride. I'd love to go to many, many more passages of Scripture, but today we can only look at two. So first passage, 1 Corinthians 4, verses 6 through 7. Paul writes there, I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Humility recognizes that Everything we are and everything we have did not come from us, but instead was a gracious gift from God. Paul says, what do you have that you did not receive? The answer is nothing. He says, if then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? So we read in Colossians 1.16 that we were made by God and for God. Peter wrote earlier in the letter in chapter 1 that we were redeemed and bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. So in our creation, we are owned by God, and in him saving us, we are bought by Christ. We are owned by him. More than that, we recognize through humility that nothing good truly came from us. So if you stop and you think about all the things that you prize about yourself. All your skills or talents, your spiritual gifts, your physical strength or appearance, your intelligence, your popularity, your achievements, your positions of authority in the world, your possessions, your wealth, your education, all of that, all of it was a gift of God's grace to you. Humility recognizes that we owe all to Christ and desires to use all for Christ. Pride, on the other hand, believes that all of these things came from us, all of that. And because of that, we boast. He says, if you, then you received it. Why do you boast as if you did not receive it, as if this came from your own effort? So pride boasts in who we are, in our skills, in our talents, in our positions, and the things we can do. And by doing that, we take the glory that rightly belongs to God, attribute it to ourselves, and in doing that, we compare ourselves with other people. So it affects our relationship with the Lord and affects our relationship with one another. So pride thinks, if I have more money, or if I'm more popular, or if I'm smarter than other people, I'm better than other people, because I did all of that. You see the contrast there, pride and humility. The other passage I want to go to is Matthew chapter 20, 25 through 28. Uh, That was just read just earlier. So I'm just going to read the, the second half of what's up on the screen here. Jesus said, But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So in light of God's grace that we have received everything from the Lord, humility does not view itself as superior to anyone. It causes us to view ourselves as servants of all. So other people's interests, their needs, their spiritual growth, instead becomes our interests. So Philippians 2 verse 3, Look out not only for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. Humility actively considers other people, how to spur them on to love and good deeds, Hebrew 13 says. In order to do this, we really have to look to Jesus Christ, right? Our great example, it says right here that he came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. Uh, it also says in Philippians 2.7 that he came in the form of a servant. He humbled himself to do that. And he says about himself that he is gentle and lowly in heart in Matthew 11, verse 29, that we are to take his yoke on him and learn from him in that way. Pride, thinking that we're better than other people for the things that we've received, instead looks at people that in this perceived ranking scale, Well, I'm up here, there are other people further down the list, and there's some people higher up the ranking scale, pride thinks that those people who are lower than us should rightfully serve us, and we demand that. We're offended when they don't think that they, they should do that. And people that are higher than us, well, we don't think we should serve them. We're just jealous of their position. Right? Pride wants to be on the top, always. Pride. So pride, think of, um, think of reading Daniel chapter 5, Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar. They exalted themselves in their pride, and God humbled them. So pride wants to make much of self and to be over other people. It says, I want to do things, the things that I want to do, and I want to do it in the way that I want to do it. But instead, humility, Christ-like humility, causes us to see ourselves properly in God's created order, in God's kingdom, and enables us to pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. That's a totally different outlook. And whenever it comes to God opposing the proud and giving grace to the humble, pride vaunts itself up against God's plan and God's ways, and so God resists that. But the humble person who says, let your kingdom come, your will be done, what's there to oppose? God gives grace to further his plans and purposes in the humble person. What would this look like then? So humility, pride, what would this look like? To clothe ourselves with humility, be ready for service to one another. I'm going to give you three different angles to think about this in the way that we interact with each other first way is service. Okay, that's a very natural extension, service. But service starts by listening to one another. Okay, it starts by listening. Do you take interest in other people? Do you take interest in their lives, in their trials, in their families, in their circumstances? Or when you get into a conversation with people, do you have just a really great story that you just want to try and fit in and, and tell them? are you really taking attention and paying attention and giving interest to other people? Humility is a process of drawing our attention and our focus away from ourselves and onto other people. Uh, C.S. Lewis is famous for saying that if you were to meet a humble person, probably all you will think about him is that he seemed a cheerful, intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you said to him. So we start by listening and letting, asking questions, how are you doing? What's the Lord doing in your life? And hearing the needs, hearing the, um, the struggles, seeing the different ways that we can serve them. So it starts by paying attention. And then it leads to serving. As you listen, you're going to hear all those different things, areas that they need encouragement or prayer or help or counsel. And then you say, what can I do? What can I do to respond to that? And whether it be to point them to God's Word, pray with them, offer to, to help them in a certain way. There's so many different ways that you can do that. You can drive somebody somewhere. You can bring them a meal. You can help with the house project. There's a million different ways of helping people if we simply take the time to listen and stop focusing on ourselves. So service. Service to other people. Second is solidarity. Solidarity, that is unity. When you read passages like uh, verse, uh, what is it? Philippians chapter 1 into chapter 2, or Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 4, Colossians 3, where uh, God is specifically thinking about the unity of his people. It's not a, a coincidence that very close by in the context, you will find humility. Humility and unity. God has called us together as a people to go forward on a mission to, to see his name made great among the earth, among the nations in the earth. But when humility breaks down and we become proud, There become tensions not only outside our body, but inside. There becomes sin that gets in the way, offenses that are taken, and that distracts and derails from the purposes God has for us as a church body. So when we stop seeing ourselves so highly, humility comes in and begins to work against that. If we don't think of ourselves so highly, we're less prone to take offense. We're going to be quicker to overlook other people's faults, quicker to be to forgive, to extend forgiveness, to build people up. So I would encourage you, if there's any outstanding conversations that you need to have, if there is a sin between you and another person, humble yourselves. Go and talk to them. Ask or extend forgiveness. Let's maintain the unity of our body through a humble mind. Okay? So service, solidarity, and celebration. I know some of you, some of you are looking up here and you're having a really, really hard time with my letters right now. I know, I may not be looking over this way, but I might be looking at Michael at the moment. (laughs) But it's okay, because there is service, solidarity, and celebration. One, they sound the same, but we can just change it. It's okay, We we can make it work. It's good. So there's a celebration. I'm not sure what we are selling in this celebration, but we're having a celebration. So... Service, solidarity, and celebration. What do I mean by celebration here? What I mean by that is we need to stop comparing ourselves with one another and competing with one another. Okay, pride, what it wants to do is put ourselves on that ranking scale, right? And we find personal value in where we perceive ourselves in that rank. Humility, when it sees other people and it sees their spiritual gifts at work, when it sees good works happening, when it sees greater material blessing, humility rejoices in seeing God's grace to other people. Pride sees those same things and feels threatened by it. Wait, if they're doing good works over there, that makes me look bad over here because I'm not doing good works. So it feels threatened in that ranking scale, and pride instead wants to tear other people down or criticize them or minimize what they're doing so that way they don't look any worse or we can can get ahead. But humility just simply rejoices and encourages others to continue to grow, to use their gifts, to be fruitful in the kingdom. This is the mindset I want to have. God has given me spiritual gifts, and God has given me opportunities for good works, and I want to be faithful with those. God has given you spiritual gifts and you opportunities for good works and I want you to be faithful with those. What do they have to do with each other? There is one Lord and he has called you to faithfulness and I want you to be the most faithful and fruitful you can. If that's more fruitful than I am, what does it matter? The Lord is glorified. Let me give you a brief example of this this contrast of pride and humility in the way that we look at and celebrate one another. So about a year ago, um, I, I heard of a, an acquaintance of mine during my, uh, my time at school. I was a senior. This friend of mine, uh, Zach, was a freshman. He was a very immature guy when he first came into school, very superficial. But over that year that our time overlapped, I saw a bit of a change beginning to work out in him. He started to ask more serious questions. He was baptized. at a church in Chicago, and I started to see just a little bit of, of that happening which was cool. I didn't have any part in that. I just saw it. So, uh, Fast Track, so last year, this is several years later, last year, I heard that he was pastoring a church, which was a bit of a surprise. I didn't, at the time, I don't think that was any interest of his, and thinking of where he was that freshman year for him, I was, I was really curious. I was like, what, what happened to this, this guy that he's now pastoring a church? So I was curious. I wanted to look it up. So I looked up his church on, uh, online, the first thing that comes up is a newspaper article, a local newspaper article. There was a r- reporter who went and interviewed several of the members of his church, and they were just glowing about this guy. They were, oh, he, this is such a godsend. He's, he's revitalizing our church. We see so much happening. He's not afraid to challenge us when we need to be challenged. And, and inside, my pride is just sitting there going, oh, come on, wait, wait, this guy? Are you for, well, hold on, hold on, hold on. And I'm comparing myself with this stuff. And so I'm like, you know what? I'm kind of curious. I should just go listen to one of his sermons, just kind of see what, what he's doing. So I, I listen to one of his sermons online. I'm listening for about 10 minutes. And in my heart, all I'm thinking is, that wasn't a very good illustration. That didn't really fit. Yeah, you know, that he's belaboring that point too much. And, you know, I, that wasn't really rooted in the text. That, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, but he's okay. He's okay. And I'm sitting there comparing and critiquing him. I'm not even there with him, but I'm contrasting myself with him. in this ranking scale in my head, until the Lord convicted me. And I had to repent, and the response that I needed to have, and by God's grace did, was first I had to give thanks. I had to give thanks for God's work in this brother, who going from this place of immaturity to now to a place of usefulness in God's kingdom, and not only that, but But if this is happening, if this is a church that's growing and being refreshed and bearing more fruit through God's work in this brother, praise the Lord. I wanted to give thanks for that. And then second, I had to pray that God would strengthen that ministry, would grow him in the faith, would make him more fruitful. It doesn't matter because this is God's kingdom, God's church, God's work, and I wanted to see that happen more. Do you see that? Humility and pride, totally different totally different responses. That's what I want to do when I see other people engaging in the work of ministry, building up their families, growing in a knowledge of the word of God. I want to simply praise God and say, Amen, let it be so. More, please. Amen. So our pride damages our fellowship with God, with one another. Humility strengthens that. Humility strengthens it. We want to see God's hand at work in us, so we must pursue humility. So that brings us to our last point. Be humble toward God. Look at verses 6 and 7. We read, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of God is, um, can be a little bit of a hard concept to grasp. But I want to give you two two ways of thinking about it from, from these verses, to begin to think what does that mean for us today? First is to trust God's hand, and the second is to trust God's heart. Okay, so trusting God's hand, this is from verse six. He says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. When the term hand is used in the Bible of God, It's talking about God's activity in the world. Specifically, when we see the mighty hand of God in the Old Testament, the majority of the time that refers to God's work in the Exodus. So, the plagues in Egypt, the Red Sea crossing, the defeat of Pharaoh's army, they think of that as God's mighty hand at work in the world. So, so God's hand, it's his activity. God's hand, though, is at work in a lot of ways that you and I sometimes don't like to think about, like our suffering, like persecution, like the increasing hostility of a culture against Christianity. God is not absent from those things. It doesn't mean that those are good things, but that they are in the outworking of God's plan. And this is true in the life of Jesus, right? So we read in Acts chapter 4. For truly in the city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. This suffering that Jesus experienced was part of God's activity in the world and his plan. We heard We've heard it actually numerous times throughout the book of First Peter, but just two weeks ago, Pastor Mark preached on chapter 4, verses 12 through 19, about the reality of Christian suffering. And in those verses, it talked about God's judgment beginning at the house of God. God's judgment for the Christian is, it's not condemnation, it's a refining fire. It's to bring us to repentance and greater purity. It's to Bring us into sharing the sufferings of Christ. It's to bring us to uh, a heavenly hope, not set on this earth, but bring our hope heavenward. If we hear that and we say, you know what, God's plan needs a little bit of a tune-up. Like, I'd prefer to take a little detour or have a little edit here and there. That's where we humble ourselves. God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Is he wise? Is he good? Is he faithful? Is he just? If he is, then trust him. Humble yourselves under his mighty hand. We do this so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. Okay, again, we've, we've heard this many times throughout this letter, but our suffering is always placed against this anticipation of Christ's coming. Today, we experience suffering and trial, ridicule, pressure from an outside world. Pressure. But when the Lord returns, God himself will exalt us. At that time, we'll experience vindication and joy, freedom and honor in his presence. That fulfillment is not long off. We don't know the day, but we can be assured it's at the proper time. It is at the right time. So while today may be hard, Let's humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. Secondly, trusting God's heart. It says, humble yourselves by casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Why do, I, why do I put that up there? The way that the the sentence is structured, when Peter says casting all your anxieties on him, he is explaining more of what he means by humbling yourselves. That's the way this is set up. So humble yourselves by casting all your anxieties. On him. So as we experience this fiery trial, what Peter calls a fiery trial, there's a lot of questions that come up from that, right? We sit here and we go, what's going to happen with my work? What's going to happen, how do I provide for my family? Do I need to move away? Probably the largest question on most of our minds today is how do I make it through Thanksgiving dinner with a family of such divided opinions? I don't, I don't know about you. Maybe that's just me. Again, my family's in the back. I have to speak very, very gently today. But, <laughs> um, but partly tongue-in-cheek, partly not, right? There's so much going on around us, and it leads us to these questions. They're not bad questions to ask. But the problem comes in when our pride kicks in, and we think that we are the ones to take care of all this. We're the ones to manage all this. And somehow our anxious minds running at 12 o'clock at night, thinking of all the scenarios and what's the best way to handle this and what's the consequences if I do this or if I do that or if I do the other thing. Somehow we think that's going to make things better. Somehow we think that maybe God hasn't planned for these details in my life and I've got to be the one to work those out. Well, instead of doing that, the Lord calls us to cast those anxieties on him. And he does this for a reason. Peter says, why do we do that? Because he, the Lord, cares for you. You. I want you to know something. The Lord, in his providence, in his infinite wisdom, has taken painstaking care over each one of your lives individually. Individually to make provision for your needs, for your growth, For everything you have need to be faithful today. Our anxious thoughts imply that God hasn't done that. That maybe he's a little busier than that. Maybe he's got this big plan of working things out, but when it comes to my life, my finances, my relationships, my heart, my growth, somehow he's absent from that. That's when we humble ourselves before God trusting his heart that he cares for you. He cares for you. So we pray. We pray for each other. We pray individually, asking for God's wisdom, asking for God's work, for his grace to endure, and asking for hope, for hope to live without compromise in this world. Okay. So Peter's calling us to be a community of humility, to be humble toward elders, to be humble toward one another, and to be humble toward God. By God's grace, we'll Look to Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith, the one who is gentle and lowly in heart, whom we can learn from and grow in humility together. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you so much for your patience with us that Christ came as a humble servant. We want to glorify you in this outworking of faith. We pray that you would work in us humility in our body today that you would be glorified.